This is the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, episode 45. You're listening to the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, the number one resource for running a profitable home recording studio. Now your hosts, Brian Hood and Chris Graham. Welcome back to another episode of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. I am your host, Brian Hood. I'm here with my bald and beautiful co-host, Chris Graham. Chris, buddy, friend, pal, guy, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. It's very hot in the great state of Ohio right now. Kind of like a little heat sweep going on right now in the Southeast, too. Yeah, it's like a jungle. How are you, sir? What's new in your life? Well, I typically try to come to these sorts of questions with more than just weather updates. <laughs> so shallow. <laughs> yeah, for reason number one, it's the most shallow thing to talk about. Like, so what I talk about, like, to old people at the gym, if they talk to me. And that's today's lesson for the Six Figure Home Studio. Don't talk about the weather with your clients. Reason number two is the fact that this podcast usually airs weeks after we record it, in which case... The weather's completely changed, Chris, for the listeners. That's reason number two. But things that have changed, Sean is actually leaving the Six Figure Home Studio. He's been with me for over a year now. This is his last week as of the time we record this. By the time this episode comes out, Sean Barnes will no longer be working for the Six Figure Home Studio. That's the bad news. Good news is he's leaving because his studio has gotten way too busy for him to work two jobs. So it's one of those things that I can't blame him. You got to stick with your main business and He's been with me for over a year, so kudos to Sean. Everyone listening right now, give him a round of applause yeah. for the year. Six-figure home studio <laughs> salute to Sean Barnes, the guy yep. who takes all the stupid stuff that we say and edits it out of the podcast. Exactly. Now we have a new guy editing stuff. He started on episode number 44, so if that episode was markedly worse in edits, it's because he's new. But this is our new guy named James. I have a lot of faith that he is going to be great at editing this podcast and also taking over some of the other duties that Sean has done for the past year. So welcome James Cross to the Six Figure Home Studio crew. Anyways, let's get on to the topic of today's episode. Mm, it's a good one. Yeah, this is a good one. And this is another one of those episodes that I'm like, I can't believe it. We're 45 episodes in and this is the first time that we're talking about this, Chris, because this is something that affects us all in many different ways. It doesn't just affect us or our businesses. This affects the entire world. This is like an unofficial law of the universe, or maybe it's official. I don't know. It's called many names, but we call it the 80-20 principle. Some people call it Pareto's principle. There's maybe another couple other names besides that. What is the 80-20 principle, Chris? Well, quick story as I define the 80-20 principle. Years ago, when I was more of a loser than I am now, my business was driving me crazy. This is 2007. And I was working ridiculous hours, making almost no money. And I met with a friend of mine, Matt Crumpton. Matt and I were having lunch at the North Star Cafe in the short north of Columbus, Ohio. And I told him about how I was struggling in my business. And he said something that changed my life. He said, have you ever heard of a book called The 4-Hour Workweek? Which we've talked about many, many times on this podcast. Many, many times. It'll be in the show notes if you haven't heard of it yet. There's a link to it. I said, no, and he described it to me. And I went home and I told my wife later that day and she picked it up at the library. I put it on the couch behind where I master. I used to have a couch back there and it sat there for three months unopened, accruing late fees. So my initial investment, <laughs> I lost money when I got the four hour work week because of all the late fees. Three months later, I'm working and I am just, I have way too many projects in front of me that are due that day. And I had a little tiny like nervous breakdown, panic attack type thing. 
And I said, you know what? Uh, F this. Something needs to change. And I turned around, I grabbed the book and I left and I went to Starbucks with the book. And I sat down with it with a cup of coffee and I said to myself, I don't have time to read this whole book. So I'm just going to look through the index and find something that sounds like it would apply and just read it right then. I turned to chapter five. I remember this chapter five is about the 80-20 principle. I try not to cuss on the podcast because that's just my thing. But when I read the 80-20 principle, chapter five in the four hour work week, it was a holy shit moment of epic proportions. What Tim Ferriss said, and he didn't invent the 80-20 principle. He's certainly championed it. But essentially that 20% of the things that you do create 80% of the desired outcomes that you want. And 20% of the things that you dislike create 80% of your misery in life. He went on to explain all these different illustrations of about how the 80-20 principle came into play. One of those was the guy who invented it noticed in his garden in Italy, you know, hundreds of years ago that 20% of his pea plants, you know, the little peas, I don't like peas, pea pods, 20% of his plants had 80% of the peas on them. He also noticed that 20% of the people in Italy at the time owned 80% of the land. And he went on and on and on. And he couldn't find anything that he could not apply the 80-20 principle to. So here's the big take home. 80% of the money that you make as a studio owner probably comes from 20% of your clients. 80% of the things that make you miserable as a studio owner probably come from 20% of the things that you do as a studio owner. And it just goes on and on and on. And if there's like a come to Jesus moment for me, when I finally was like, okay, I'm going to start reading books. I'm going to self-educate myself on how to run a business. Well, it was that moment at Starbucks reading chapter five in the four hour work week before I had read chapter one, two, three, or four. It was that moment that just blew my mind as I suddenly was like, oh, that's what's happening. These are the problems I need to fix first. And I want to demonstrate, first and foremost, the 80-20 principle in action right here and right now. I asked Chris, what is the 80-20 principle? It took Chris three minutes and 51 <laughs> seconds to explain to you what the 80-20 principle is. And I'm going to actually shorten that down to a mere 10 seconds. Here it is. Please. The 80-20 principle is this. 20% of your efforts create 80% of the results. Period. Damn. And that's the 80-20 principle in a nutshell. It's short and concise. That's the main takeaway of that four-minute story. Boom, drop the mic. So, so anyways, <laughs> let's talk about why this is so important for the average listener. The short 80-20 principle answer, I'm going to be doing this the whole episode, Chris. Do it. The short answer is this, time equals money. In our industry, our income is almost always directly tied to our time, meaning if we do not work, we do not make money. If we work, we make money. So if we want to make more money, we have two options. We can work more or we can work smarter. And by working smarter, we're implementing the 80-20 principle in all the different areas of our lives and our businesses. And I can tell you right now, both Chris's income and my income went up multiples, many multiples of what it was before we discovered this principle and before we implemented this principle. If you actually go back to the blog, this is one of the first articles I wrote. It's called What Two Dead Men Can Teach audio engineers about efficiency. This is something I wrote years and years ago, and it increased my income 60% that year. Uh, it's actually more than doubled, maybe tripled since then. So this is very powerful stuff. And it's a lot of it is because we consistently 
revisit this 80-20 principle and look at all the different areas in our business that there are inefficiencies that need to be fixed. And then we tackle those one by one by one, starting at the lowest hanging fruit. Yeah. So if I could, I know I say this all the time. If I could talk to my- <laughs> I know what you're going to say. Wait, wait, wait. Let me go ahead and just do this for you. What Chris is going to say here is if he could talk to himself 15 years ago, if he could teach his 15 year ago self this principle, it would have saved him a lot of time, money, and heartache in his life. Is that what you're going to say? Not only that, if I could communicate <laughs> only one business principle to myself- Ooh, that's actually- that's a new Chris. 15 Graham. years ago, Ism. hands down, 80-20 principle. That's so true. Well, actually, it would be, hey, read books about business would be the number one thing. Yeah. But if I could only communicate one actual idea other than self-educate, it would have been the 80-20 principle. Yes. That's such a good starter for anyone. Man, it was the same for me. Four-hour work week. There's many other books about the 80-20 principle. There's many other business books, probably some that are a lot better suited for the average home. One of them called the 80-20 principle, I think. Yeah. There's just books that are better suited for home studio businesses versus the kind of business that he teaches in four-hour work week. But that was a book that both Chris and I got started in our entrepreneur world. And uh, it's worth a read. All right. So let's move on to the 80-20 principle for audio engineers or recording studios or whatever word we used to end up for this title. In the <laughs> audio world, how can we employ the 80-20 principle in a way that affects our businesses in big ways? What's that tiny little thing that you can implement in your business? to make the biggest impact possible? Well, as people who make art, there are so many hangups that we have where we get fixated on certain things and we cannot let go even though they aren't the most important thing. This is something I struggle with mightily in my own life. I've gotten much better as I've gotten older. Yeah, I think a good place to start with this, Chris, is probably the gear 8020 because this is something that everyone can relate to. If you're in the audio world, you have researched gear at some point. At some point, Today, today, a lot of us have gone down that rabbit hole way too deep. And so when we start talking about the 80-20 principle, we have to talk about gear first. So a good intro for this. Um, I am a gear slut. I love it. And yeah, so I have, as I've gotten older, learned that gear is like a black hole that sucks me in and makes me into a crazy person. And so funny story about that. When I first started recording the podcast with Brian, I had a really nice mic closet. I still do. It's left over. I just haven't had the heart to sell it from when I was producing, you know, over a decade ago. And I selected a AKG 414 for the podcast. Now, this is a great microphone. However, it requires a lot of consciousness for podcasting about where you are in relationship to that microphone. It's very, very, very sensitive. It picks up everything in the room. And I made a decision that I was going to buy another microphone. And this seemed crazy because I already had way more than I needed. And I ended up buying an ElectroVoice RE20, which is what I'm on right now. The reason I did that is the ElectroVoice RE20, I can get really close to it and it has no proximity effect. So it doesn't get bassier as I get closer or as I get farther away. It stays relatively the same. As a result, I have not thought about it while we've recorded the podcast hardly at all. I just pull it towards my face and I talk. And as a result, I can focus on the most important thing, which is dropping sweet little nuggets of wisdom for you guys. <laughs> yep. And so when we start looking at the 80-20 principle of gear, moral of the story is this. There is going to be 20% of the gear that matters that brings you 80% or more of the results. And so once you acquire, once you've researched, once you buy and install and start using that 20% of gear, move the fuck on. There's 
plenty more in your life and in your business to worry about than gear. So once you get past this point, stop obsessing. Stop obsessing about gear. Stop spending money on gear. Stop wasting time and mental effort on gear. Well, and the big thing there is you only should buy gear if it makes you more efficient. And this idea of like, well, I need to buy a second 1176 compressor because it sounds slightly different. Yeah, that's all well and good, but does it make you more efficient? Does it raise your dollars per hour? For some people, maybe, but probably not. A very, very slim chance on that. So that's the big thing with gear is that if the gear makes you more efficient, go for it. If it doesn't, probably not. There's a fine line there, Chris, that I have to address because I know someone listening right now is like, come on, man, you're, you're in it for the money, not in it for the art. There is a slight amount of artistic creativity that goes into gear usage and gear selection. Yeah. So just for example, you're a guitar player and you're looking for a very specific effect, specific tone for that one guitar part. I get it. I get it in those instances. Those occurrences are way more rare than what you're probably thinking right now as a listener. I'm not going to say that there's never any reason to buy gear outside of more efficiency or more money, but just have this thought in mind that when you start tweaking little things, you start acquiring gear to get that like slightly better sound, you're hitting a point of diminishing returns, meaning for every dollar you spend, you're not getting that much more. For example, if you buy an interface that's three times more expensive as your current interface, you're not getting three times better sound from it. And that's just an important concept to realize. So you're going to hit a point of diminishing returns. And the more money you spend, the more time you spend, the more money you're wasting and the more time you're wasting. So case in point with this, I think this is a good illustration. If you are thinking about whether or not you should buy a new direct box or whether you should buy a new vocal mic, you need to think about the 80-20 principle. The vocal mic, if you come up with a great vocal rig that you are using consistently and it makes the vocals better on your record, that's 80% of the record is the vocal. That's probably at least worth considering. That's a pretty good investment. If you're working on something that is less than 1% of the record, people are going to hate on me for this, a new Tom mic that gets used once per song for your genre. You know, it's like, boop, 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 boom. Oh, there's the new Tom mic right there. Oh my gosh. You're going to sell so many more records and you're going to get a Grammy because of that Tom tone that he hits one time in that song. That's <laughs> a waste. So you need to look at this 80-20 thing in regards to gear and that 20% of your gear gets used 80% of the time. Ooh, that's another good way to look at it. But 80% of the time that you waste on gear is probably looking at improving your collection of gear that only affects the record 20% of the time. Tops. Did I say that right? Yeah, I think you said it right. I 100% understand and agree with what you just said that you're going to waste 80% of your time on 20% of your gear. That's, that's the bottom line. And you're going to use 20% of your gear 80% of the time. That's the other bottom line. And I don't think we need to touch on this anymore because I think if you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, you understand that. This is why we have the gear slot alert. It's because our focus as a six-figure M studio inherently has to be on business. And neither of us believe that gear beyond a certain point has anything to do with it. I've seen people argue and troll about having millions of dollars of gear, and there is some perceived value difference there between a small, lean home studio and a massive multi-million dollar facility. But at the end of the day, it's a very much a diminishing return past a certain point, and that's all we need you to understand for this episode. So moving on. Actually, let me throw in one last little piece here. I promise this is worth it. What I find is that when I don't want to face the truth, when I don't want to do the hard work, that 80% 
of the way that I will procrastinate is by looking at gear. Yep. That's some people's personal battle. Not mine, but that is definitely from what you've told me, that is your personal battle when it comes to time procrastination. Yeah. I'm constantly convinced that, oh, if I just had this one more piece of equipment, I could do this one thing. And it's funny when I got into music initially, my uncle warned me about this. He said, I would have probably been successful in music if I hadn't gotten distracted by the gear. I'm like 14 years old when he told me this and it hit me like a ton of lightning and, <laughs> and I only barely heeded his advice much to my detriment. Can we talk about hit you like a ton of lightning? Is that a thing that people say? Usually it's a ton of bricks. I'm not, let's move on. All right. That's, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I didn't even, it hit me like a ton of bricks. But there we go. From now on, that's a motif on the, on the show. I'm going to say it hit me like a ton of lightning. That's a lot of lightning because lightning doesn't weigh very much. No, it doesn't. All right. So let's move on. This is one that I probably should have saved this in for last, but I, I wanted to get into it. I can't wait. It's 80% of your money in the studio comes from 20% of your work or the services that you do or the tasks that you do each day. This is, there's a million ways of looking at it, but this is the gist of it. Look at your entire day, the entire, let's just say a 10 hour day, two of those hours make you 80% of your money two of those hours. And that might be five minutes here, 10 minutes there, 20 minutes there. But two of those hours are going to bring 80% or more of your money. And this is powerful because when you start looking at that 20% of the work that's bringing in your dollars, it's going to change the game. This is what really increased my income 60% back in, I think this is 2014 when I wrote that article originally and has increased it more than two or three fold since then. This is the thing I look at as much as humanly possible is what am I doing that's bringing in income? And then how can I get rid of or automate or delegate or quit doing altogether the other 80% of work? Powerful stuff, man. So as a mastering engineer, the 80-20 for me is that if I'm adjusting a compressor or an EQ on a song, I'm bringing my A game. That is my wheelhouse. And that's why people hire me. I'm good at that. However, when it comes to like fade outs and song spacing in between songs and fade ins and all this stuff, I could probably teach my eight-year-old how to do this, but I still do it myself. And so I'm kind of confessing here. This is one of those things where it is absolutely, it has nothing to do with my bottom line, but I still do it myself. It doesn't fall into that 20% that creates 80% of my revenue. Does that make sense? So my question is, why do you still do it? I need to create a system so that I can have my assistant do it before my session so that I, when I come into the session that all the gapping and fade outs are already done. And then, then I'm approving it as a... Yeah, so this, is, this brings up a quote that I want to tell you. I'm going to scald you right now, Chris. Please do it. That is what's known as, at least in our world, minimum wage work. You wouldn't actually pay minimum wage for that, but for all intents and purposes, in our world, that's minimum wage work. Someone's fresh out of audio school yeah. barely understands how to work a doll, could figure out how to do that if you show them, right? So that's, to me, that's minimum wage work. And the quote I heard was, as long as you keep doing a minimum wage work, you can't expect to ever earn more than minimum wage. That will always continue to drag your average income down. And I know you make more than minimum wage, Chris. So what I'm saying is the time you spend doing that stuff is dragging your average hourly income down. For sure. And- I'm guilty of this too. I'm just using this as an example for the podcast. There are things that I do. If I sat and thought, I could probably think of very specific things, but there are things that I do every day that is bringing down. It's basically not the highest leverage things in my life, the highest income providing things that I'm doing. And if you can eliminate those or hire someone to take those things off your shoulders or 
automate those things because that's what you've done a lot of is automating. If you go back to Chris's episode number two, he talks a lot about the automation that he implemented in the studio to eliminate a lot of things in his life. But as long as you keep doing those things yourself, you're hurting your income, man. It's true. It is something silly that I need to figure out a system and train someone to do it because anybody can take the last 30 seconds of at the end of a song and snip <laughs> that down and fade it out. Yeah. So actually let's use this for a teaching example. If you were to, let's just say whoever's listening right now, look at your business, whatever it is that you do, what is the core that you do that brings the most value in my business is a mixing engineer. It is making shit sound the way people want it to sound in the heavy music world. So I have a very specific guitar tone that I have in my niche, very specific drum tones that work well in heavy music, bass tones. There's just like different areas that only I know how to make it sound like a Brian Hood mix. And that's what people pay me for. In your world, people want a Chris Grandmaster. They want it to sound like a Chris Grandmaster. They want it to sound however they want it to sound. I don't know enough about mastering from your point of view. Clear and punchy. Right. What is it? What would you say to someone who has discovered that one thing that they know is their high income activity? Once they've discovered their high income activity, which for you is compression or you know, really doing the core of the mastering process, what would you say to someone when they're trying to get that other stuff off their plate? Like for you, it's going to be hiring somebody to do fades, talk them through the process of what you're going to do to get that off your plate. To see an example, like what is Chris Graham actually going to do, I think is going to be helpful for people. So when I ask people to send me tracks, I ask them to include their track order in the file name. And that's a nice handy little trick because when I go to master, I can just drop them into a session and they self-order. It starts at track one and it ends at track 15 or whatever it happens to be. And what I need to do is to train someone how to do that and then train someone to go in and say, listen to the end of each song and make sure there's not more than seven seconds after the last cymbal hit or bass note or what have you. And you, you have to use artistic judgment, but everyone listens to records and everyone knows if it's like, you know, 40 seconds of nothing <laughs> at the end of a song, that's not good. So what I need to do is to come up with a list of things of I don't want I don't want any more than two seconds between songs. I don't want the fade out to last any more than seven seconds. And I'm just making these numbers up as I go. I'd have to really sit down and figure this out. I always want a logarithmic fade out applied to my session that I can do pre-limiter or excuse me, uh, post-limiter. So there's all these different things that I could put on a checklist of here's what I want it to look like. So this is all just creating a checklist. All you have to do is create a checklist yeah. and find the person that can execute the checklist exactly how you want it every single time. And that's off your plate. That's off my plate. So now when I do a mastering session, I would start with the session that the assistant worked on and their fades are already in there. And I'm going to hear their fades as I'm mastering and I can touch them up. Just quality control. I can touch them up. I can add an extra half second there or make the, the fade a little faster there. What I'm saying is I would have the assistant do it non-destructively. So I can go in and I can make it longer or shorter. It's no big deal. I mean, it's 2018. Who does destructive editing anymore, honestly? Well, I don't even know, man. <laughs> so, yeah, so something like that would really save me a lot of time and would increase what I'm making per hour, which I think is the important measurement here. I could train anybody to do that. I need to. So how much time per week do you think that would save you if you hired someone to do that? Hmm, it really depends on the week. In August, what it is right now, it's a much slower month. It could save me, I mean, it's at least a couple minutes every hour of work I do. In like January or February or March when things get really crazy, I don't know why they always do in the wintertime, it would really save my life because I could focus more on 
the actual art, the compression, the multi-man compression, the EQ, et cetera, and having conversations with clients, which is so much more valuable to me. It's so much more enjoyable. Yeah. And I've experienced this in my own business. This is when I was looking at my mixing process from point A to point Z. We've talked about this on previous episode. If you want to go back to episode number 40, where we talk about how we use checklists to boost our income, creativity, and consistency. We go more in depth about this, but I basically just created a checklist for an assistant to follow to do all of my mix prep, meaning you know, labeling files, importing files, setting up the session, getting the template in place, getting the core pieces there. And that was honestly 80% of the time on a mixing project for me. And that allowed me to focus 20% of my time on the money-making aspects, which is actually making it sound good. Not just little like checklist type things, actually doing creative tasks, making things sound the way I want them to sound. And it was a game changer in my mixing business. And I I just want to make sure that our listeners understand that is the 80-20 principle in a nutshell when it comes to systemizing and delegating or systemizing and automating. Because there are ways, and Chris Graham talks about it in his episode number two, of automating certain tasks and not even having to hire anyone. Well, and the component there that's important to understand too is that this 80-20 principle is probably more important in our creative industry than it is in others because our best work is done when we are in quote-unquote flow state. When we're in flow state and nothing interrupts the creative process, you hit this magical mode where you make all good decisions for a long period of time, and it is glorious. Yep, there's a book called Deep Work, if you want to look that up. Uh, there should be a link to it in our show notes. If you go to the sixfigurehomestudio.com slash 45 slash four five, we'll have a link to that book. Deep work goes into that concept of flow state. Yeah, when you hit flow state because you've automated or systemized everything out, you've taken that 20% of your work that causes 80% of your exhaustion and or miserableness. When you've gotten rid of that, your misery, <laughs> when you've gotten rid of that misery, you can focus on flow state. Flow state is your 20% that does 80% of the results. And let me tell you what, speaking as someone who I feel like my systems are pretty polished, when you do nothing but creative work for hours at a time, nothing interrupts you. It is the most glorious thing in the world. Now, when I leave a mastering session, I feel rejuvenated and energized. Before I had figured this stuff out and before I had figured out how to get into flow state by eliminating the 20% that was causing 80% of my misery, I would not leave energized at the end of the day. I would leave exhausted. And that story actually leads into our next bullet point here with the 80-20 principle. And that is exactly what you just said. 20% of your problems are going to bring in 80% of your headaches. Meaning if you can just solve that small 20% of issues that you have, you can eliminate 80% of your headaches and misery from your life. Yeah. So case in point, tough love here. Brian, if you could attribute all of the like weird audio issues we've had recording this podcast to one piece of software, what would that software be? Studio One. Oh, come on. <laughs> it's Pro Tools. <laughs> Pro Tools, probably. <laughs> probably. We haven't had that many issues. Not really. that many issues. But if it's something where it's like, oh, that's weird. It's not working for some reason. It's a Pro Tools issue. Pro Tools is so freaking finicky. And has been for 20 years. So I feel like you're putting undue <laughs> judgment Maybe. where it's not due. No offense to any Pro Tools users. Just my experience has been that almost anything is more stable than Pro Tools. The music industry was built on the back of Pro Tools. 
just clip my mic. Oh man. <laughs> Many a tear were shed over a, you know, hard drive error. I mean, it would take me a while to list all the potential problems that can come up that you just don't have with, say, Logic or GarageBand. <laughs> all right. So elitism aside, let's actually look at like, <laughs> let's talk about the process behind spotting this because. If you don't know to look for this, you will never find it. So look at, and this is going to be different for every single person. So you're, you, the listener are going to have to really do this work in your head right now, but think of the last shitty day you had at work or not your day job, or you could do this with your day job. Actually, this goes with all areas of life, relationships or anything, but your last day in the studio that just sucked. Why did it suck? Or better yet, look at the last series of things that sucked and try to find the single point of failure. We actually talked about this on episode number. 38, how to 10X your business by identifying and eliminating your single point of failure. If you really stop and think about what is the thing, the single thing that's causing those 80% of the issues, you can really make your business more enjoyable. You can make your studio more enjoyable. It also carries over to your profit, your bottom line, because if you can eliminate those problems, it may keep relationships intact with your clients. It may keep people coming back to you where they may not have before. And this can be so many different issues. It could be your social skills. It could be your communication skills. It can be pro tools. It could be a bad preamp. It could be bad microphone. It could be gear. It could be your girlfriend. It could be your wife. It could be anything. So who knows what it is for you, but if you can find and eliminate or at least part with when it comes to girlfriends, don't eliminate your girlfriend, just part with your girlfriend. If you can eliminate the things that are bringing in 80% of the headaches in your business and in your studio, this goes a very long way. It really does a lot to not only make your life more enjoyable, your business more enjoyable, but it also brings you clarity and peace of mind, which can translate to many other areas of your business and life. Have you ever actually sat down and thought about where your next client will come from? Most freelancers don't because most freelancers, number one strategy for getting new clients is something called hope marketing. And if that sounds like you, you're not alone. Most freelancers think that just by putting out great work, clients will come banging down your door to hire you. Now, while you obviously do need to be good at what you do, we both know that this strategy does not work. Otherwise, your calendar would be 100% booked solid with amazing projects from your ideal clients. So to help you with this fight against hopium addiction, I'm excited to announce that our flagship coaching program, Clients by Design, has finally opened up applications again. This transformational coaching journey is not a one-size-fits-all. It's tailor-made just for you. We'll do a deep dive into your business to see what's missing, and we'll lay out a step-by-step roadmap to guide you over the next six to eight months. And here's the best part. We don't just give you the plan and send you on your way. We give you personal one-on-one help so you never get stuck. And we make sure you actually follow through with something called our absolute accountability system. So if you're ready to stop relying on hope marketing and ready to start building your own client acquisition machine so you can get a steady flow of clients, then it's time to step up and apply for clients by design and see if you're a good fit. Just go to sixfigurecreative.com slash coach. And I'll be the first to say that this program is not for everyone. So far, we've only accepted about 25% of those who apply. So if you want to find out if you're a good fit, just go to sixfigurecreative.com slash coach and fill out the application. Now here's our show. Yeah. So case in point. Here's a nice little gear tip that we don't really give out on the podcast. We don't have a gear tip alert. <laughs> and a gear tip alert. If you are using a computer that doesn't have a solid state hard drive as its boot drive, there's a great 80-20 for you right there. Almost everything you do is affected by your computer and how well it runs. And if you're running on a hard drive that reads and writes at 50 megabit per second versus an SSD that reads and writes at like 350, 500 megabits per second. They're so cheap. The Samsung one is really, really good and super cheap. 
that's an 80-20 right there. That's something that will affect every moment that you are in the studio if you're having weird computer issues. You know, if it's, things are taking a while to load or things are unpredictable or something like that can really have an impact and can help you make better art. One final thing to touch on related to this problem here is when we start talking about relationships with artists, this is actually one of the most important parts about running a studio is this is a relationship business. If you're a mastering engineer like Chris, you have relationships with many, many people and you also have relationships with people that bring you many, many projects. So you have audio engineers that will just feed you projects throughout the year. And it's incredibly important to maintain those relationships. And we've talked about this many times in the podcast before, but proper communication is going to be the key to sustaining those relationships over time because a lot of relationships are damaged and broken just due to la- a miscommunication or lack of communication. So we have on our list here, 20% of communication equals 80% of miscommunication. What do we mean by that, Chris? Well, case in point, I have a friend of mine who's working with a large client right now and the client gave him very specific instructions on the phone. And my friend carried out those instructions to a T and then the client came back and said, that's not what I told you to do and got really angry about it. And this is a common problem for this friend of mine. The 80-20 right there is that 80% of his miscommunication is resulted from the phone, from taking project details over the phone. So, you know, one of the things I do, this is very, very easy. If a client calls and wants to discuss a project or revisions or, you know, whatever, they'll explain it to me and I'll say, that's awesome. I really appreciate that. Would you please email me what you just said? Just so I have it in writing and that there's absolutely no opportunity for miscommunication. Yes. That's huge. That one sentence has, can have massive impact on, you know, oh, oh, that's awesome. I can totally do that. I can totally turn the snare up on the third song. I can turn the kick drum down on the fourth song. Hey, would you just email me and remind me to do that? I'm out of the studio right now. We worded it, I think, a little confusing. We said 20% of communication creates 80% of miscommunication. I think a better way of wording this is more like we could just say 20% of your systems create 80% of your miscommunication. Or let's just say... I would say 80% of miscommunication is caused by 20% of communication. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I like that better. There's, there's just a lot of different ways to word this. We're still working on the outline. But think of the point in your head is if you could just get... 20% of your communications right, you eliminate 80% of your miscommunications. That's really the bottom line here. And I think anyone that is constantly burning bridges with clients or constantly have clients that are fed up or pissed off with them, it comes down to just fixing a very small number of things going back to our single point of failure episode. Yeah. Another one of those things could be that you allow your clients to communicate about projects with you over five different ways. They can Instagram direct message you, they're Facebook messaging you, they're texting you, they're calling you, they're emailing you. When you have all these different modes of communication, when it comes to actionables, things that need to be done, that should all happen through one place. And that should be email. I'll 100% agree. That should 100% be email. And the reason we I don't like text or phone is because that enables the person to just, every single time something pops into their head, they're going to send you a text about it. They're going to send you, they're going to call you about it. And you're just going to get these little bits and pieces over the next month of things they want done instead of forcing them to sit down and put all of their thoughts out on writing and send you an email where all those thoughts are organized in one place, but you also have them all in writing. So that's just one little small quick tip for communication. Let's move on here. And let's talk about niching down because when we start talking about niching down, we've had episodes about this. Uh, if you want to listen to more about niching down, you can go back to episode number 37 where we have the niche domination checklist, or you can go back to episode number 
33, where we talk about five studio niches ripe for the taking. Niches are very important. We've also talked about them throughout other episodes, but this is because if you start looking at niching down, 20% of clients bring in 80% of your income. And there are levels to this that we're going to talk about here. But the biggest feedback we have from people when it comes to niching down is everyone's like, well, if I niche down, then I can't work with more clients because if I appeal to more people, then I have more people that I can work with. But I tell everyone this, I'll tell every single one of my students this, if you try to appeal to everyone, you will appeal to no one. And so niching down is one of those things that it doesn't make sense when you're making no money at this. When you're making less than a thousand or less than $10,000 a year from your studio, you can't even comprehend cutting out 90% of the clients out there and just focusing on that 10% that brings most of your income because that's insane to me, right? Why would I do that if I'm not making any money? But in reality, you will be stuck at that weird threshold of very little income if you do not niche down at some point and really specialize. But that's just a little side note here. I just wanted to say that because if you are a studio and you're in this weird limbo where you're making pretty good money, let's just say ten dollars to $20,000 a year, but you're not really full-time yet, this is the best time to just assess your past year of work and look at the commonalities. What are the 20% that brought in 80% of your income? It may be singer-songwriters. It may be bands. It may be a specific genre. There's a million things to do with this, but sit down and think about the niche that you are ready to focus on, the niche that is bringing you income in right now, and the niche that you can really sit down and specialize in because that's going to be key to really upping your income, I think, in, in years to come. Well, that's a great piece of advice. I think sitting down and looking at the past year or two and trying to 80-20 this, making a list and saying, okay, well, let's tackle this. Where were 80% of my headaches from? Yes. So if you look back at the last year of work and you look at where 80% of your headaches came from, it might be from one client. 80% of your headaches from the last year might be from one client. If you looked at where your income came from, you might find that a specific genre of music that you worked in created 80% of your revenue. And it's a lot more than just headaches or income, but there's things like enjoyment. What are the genres that you've enjoyed working with? Are the ones that the clients were most excited when you sent them, you know, the final masters or the final mixes, because that all takes part in this. And so case in point, my story comes into this pretty strong. Years ago, I was a touring musician. I was a professional producer. I was a professional mix engineer. I was a professional mastering engineer. I was the quote unquote, all singing, all dancing producer. You hired me and I did everything. I was the session musician on your, on your record. I did all of those things. And at one point I started mastering um, and I started mastering for other people. And I found, and this blew my mind. I never, I didn't see this coming that 80% of my enjoyment was the mastering. I loved it. And so it became really apparent to me, oh my gosh, this is something I should explore. And a lot of it had to do with my client excitement. I think if you look back at all your projects, you'll probably find that 80% of client excitement, things that clients were like, oh my gosh, this is so awesome, probably came from 20% of the things that you do. That's how I got into mastering, is that 80% of the pats on the back that I got were as a mastering engineer. So let's just say you have niched down, you are making good money. Let's just say for our full-time guys listening right now and girls listening right now, if you are already making a full-time living with this, how does this apply to you? Well, this is where we get to the 80-20 of the 80-20. This is where we look at the demographics. This is two levels deep. You can go as deep as you want because when you 80-20 something, you can then look at that 20% and then 80-20 it further and 80-20 it further. This is multiple levels of this 
to the 80-20 principle. But when you start looking within your niche and start looking at client demographics, it could be that a certain country just gives you clients that are headaches, or it could be that a certain type of client, whether it's solo artists versus full bands, that solo artists are just cheap because they're one person paying for it and bands are easier to get a full rate from. They're not haggling with you as much because they have four or five people splitting the cost. And so when you start looking through the demographics of your client base, you may be able to filter down further and create a more enjoyable business for yourself that produces higher quality clients and happier clients by doing a level two pass on this. So this is just for the full-time guys, the people that are already making good money with this. I wouldn't stress about this too much if you're barely scraping by as it is, but this is just something to know. You can do multiple levels deep when it comes to doing the 80-20 principle. So just for an example, a specific example, in my own mixing business, I learned that Australians are easier to work with, have better budgets. There's typically less going back and forth on revisions process with the exception of a few. Occasionally, you're going to get that. But overall, I found that the demographic of Australian heavy metal bands, or you know, there's a lot of subgenres that I'm not going to get into that minutiae yet right now. Of all the heavy music in the world, Australians are by far my favorite to work with. And this is, yeah, it's weird, but it, that's the way it is because of the combination of very easy to work with, higher budgets, more enjoyable, and they just tend to mesh well with my sound. Yeah, I found the same thing with Scandinavian countries. So like Denmark and Holland and Sweden and all. For whatever reason, I've just really, really always enjoyed the projects I've gotten from that part of the world. I have no idea why, but generally if a potential client reaches out and says, you know, I'm from Norway or something like that, I tend to perk up a little bit more. This is really useful and this is really kind of advanced topic stuff here, so I'm not going to go deep with this. But, you know, if you're starting to do paid advertising or doing some sort of demographic targeting on Facebook or Google when it comes to you know, doing paid ads... If you're trying to get more clients, why not focus on the clients that you enjoy the most? Like I would focus more on advertising in Australia. Chris would need to focus more on advertising in Scandinavia because that produces the best clients for us. And that's going to be different for every single person listening right now, but that's just something to keep in mind. Side note, little nugget of wisdom here. One of the things to keep in mind as we talk about international work is that your currency, your country's currency fluctuates in comparison to other countries' currency. Yes. Yep, because back when the U.S. dollar was weak as fuck, like, let's just say six years ago, yeah, we were crushing internationally. Yeah, I was killing it with the international clients. And so now the U.S. dollar is really, really high right now and has been for a couple of years. It's much harder to get international work than it was six years ago because the price has gone up for them. You know, even if, let's say you charge $100 for whatever that you do, it's $100 for an American. But six years ago, it was more like, $70 to most other people. Now it's more like 150. But this slips though, because for our international listeners, they can get more US-based clients for, let's just say the rates are lower than they were six years ago as Americans. If I were to pay $1,000 for, you know, let's just say an album master six years ago, hiring someone in Europe with my US dollars, I'm going to get a lot more buying power of my $1,000 now in 2018 because the euro has fallen compared to the US dollar, the British pounds have fallen compared to the US dollar, and that gives me more buying power. So that's good news for Europeans or really anyone else who has- Other uh, than us. Yeah, other than us, because yeah, now they can charge you know, more in their own local currency, and there's no perceived increase for us as Americans. So if you have a large client base of US citizens or 
you want to start focusing on US-based clients, this is good news. So let's move on now to our final topic here of the 80-20 principle, the final area in which you should look at employing the 80-20 principle or doing really an 80-20 analysis is what we call this, is in your personal life because this spills over in every other area of your business, life, enjoyment. And this is just so important to just take this concept in your personal life and apply it in all aspects. So let's just look at first and foremost, your relationships. 20% of your relationships bring in 80% of your enjoyment or 20% of your relationships bring in 80% of your headaches or stress or anxiety. And it's important to take stock of your personal relationships and start to determine you know, maybe there's some relationships that aren't so good for me, or maybe there's some relationships that are awesome, but I need to start nurturing those relationships more because, you know, that's the kind of person I need to be around more in this season of my life. Yeah. So I'm going to get kind of, I'm going to open up a little bit here. So when I first read four hour work week, read the chapter five about the 80, 20 principle, and it was really convicting when he talked about the personal aspect of the 80, 20 principle, basically 80% of the toxicity in your life is from 20% of or in many times less than 20% of the people that you know, I read that and it hit me like a ton of lightning. Yes. There was a guy <laughs> at the time I was working at a church. This dude was the pastor and this dude was bad news. He was without a doubt 80% of my anxiety and 80% of the headaches I had. And it just was really apparent to me. And I read this book, this guy is bad for you. He's toxic and you actually talked about this guy on episode number 30. Did I? 11 highly effective negotiation tactics any audio professional can use. Because we talked about the negative negotiation gambits. Oh, yeah. The, <laughs> Talk about yeah, The unethical oh, negotiation ooh. gambits. That yeah. was the guy you were referring to in that episode. Yeah. So it really hit me like a ton of bricks that like, hey, man, this guy is toxic. This guy is dishonest. And this guy has a double life. And you need to cut him out of your life. And when I did, it was a huge relief. So if you have a situation personally where you have a toxic friend or a toxic coworker or whatever it happens to be, that is applicable to this podcast because it has a huge impact on you as a business owner. And more importantly, it has a huge impact on your happiness, which is the point of having a kick-ass business, right? It's not about an ego boost. It's about building the life that you want. So looking at your relationships and recognizing, hmm, there's an individual or there's a type of, maybe it's talking politics, creates 80% of your stress relationally, then don't talk about it. Yeah. Or maybe you like making really politically charged posts on Facebook <laughs> and then you get all anxious and you argue with people that you haven't talked to in 15 years for the rest of the day and that ruins your life. Those are very specific examples, Chris. Yeah, but very true. You're probably thinking of exact people in your mind. Right oh, now I certainly am. I certainly am. I can think of some people I love dearly that need to get off Facebook. We all know that person. Okay. So now when we talk about personal stuff. We have to talk about your personal physical health because again, we've talked about this in the past, but your diet, your physical, you know, exercise diet, just your well-being physically will carry over into business. There is no denying that there are studies on this. And so you have to talk about this. But people, when they start talking about like, you know, I'm out of shape, I need to get in the gym or, oh man, I'm fat, I need to lose some weight. People stress out because they think it's this massive change. But when we look at physical health, we can definitively say that there's 20% of physical health, whether it's diet or exercise, 20% that brings you 80% of the results. And if we're not fitness experts, if we're not fitness gurus, if we're not bodybuilders, if we're not marathon runners, 
We don't have to worry about the minutiae. We don't have to worry about that little extra that's going to give us that little extra result. We don't have to worry about the diminishing returns that that extra effort gives us. We just have to focus on the big wins. That's all we have to worry about. And if you can learn the 20% in both diet and exercise that gets you 80% of the result, that's going to, first of all, it's going to clear up a lot of issues when it comes to lack of energy, lack of motivation, in some instances, anxiety, in some instances, a lot of depression symptoms can be linked from a poor diet, poor exercise. I just know this from my own experience. There are some studies around this as well. I'm not saying that's all depression symptoms, but that is some of them. So when it comes to getting yourself physically in shape, your physical health, just focus on the 20% that gets you 80% of the results and move on. And it's fine. You don't have to stress over this, but that is a big part of being an effective business owner is having mental clarity and physical health. Yeah. So I really think this is a choose your own adventure thing. You need to figure out what works for you here. For me, a standing desk has changed my life. I personally love a standing desk and I've lost a lot of weight since I started using a standing desk. Another one of these things is a, an afternoon nap. I took a nine minute afternoon nap before this podcast and it significantly sharpened me up before we did the podcast. So there's all these teeny tiny little things like a standing desk or a nap or not eating after 8 p.m. at night that can dramatically affect the way that you feel. And so these, these small, tiny changes, these 80-20 principles, if you can find them, can have a huge impact with almost no inconvenience in your life. Yeah, I want to make a recommendation. If any of you are trying to go on a little health journey, go check out the Model Health Show it's a podcast. So if you're listening to this podcast, you already have an app that could download that. There's several episodes on there that were eye-opening to me that I've kind of gotten that podcast recently. There's like 300 episodes. So just scan the titles and find one that works for you. But there's a lot you can learn that are small changes in your life that can make massive impacts. And that's really what matters here. All right. So just kind of wrap this episode up. Let's do a quick recap. First and foremost, we talked about the gear 80-20 principle. What's the 20% of your gear that's going to give you 80% of the results? And realistically, it's probably more like 10% of the gear that gives you 95% of the results. It's a disproportionate amount of results from a very small amount of gear. So find what it is for you and your business and then move on because there are a lot more uh, high leverage, big picture things to focus on in your life. Hashtag Apollo Twin from Universal Audio. <laughs> there you go. I've got an Apollo Twin right in front of me as well. Me, they're so good. All right, next we talk about the 20% of your work in the studio, 20% of your in-studio work that brings in 80% of your money. The challenge here is to take an assessment of all the stuff you do throughout your day and think about what is the high income earning activities and how can you do more of that and less of everything else. Then we talked about 20% of the problems in your business bring in 80% of the headaches. So how can you solve that 20% of problems? How can you prevent that 20% of problems from ever occurring in the first place? And then you're going to eliminate most of the stress in your business. How easy is that, right? It's a lot harder than that, actually, because it takes some self-awareness and some self-assessment ability to be able to find that 20% of problems that bring in 80% of the headaches. But if you do the work, that is a huge payoff if you can do that. And then we talked about the 80-20 principle when it comes to niching down. What's 20% of your clients that bring in 80% of your income? And if you go a step further, what's 20% of those clients that bring in 80% of the income and enjoyment and satisfaction and excitement? And then finally, we talked about personal health. What's 20% of, let's just say, relationships in your life that bring in 80% of the fulfillment? Or what's the 20% of toxic relationships in your life that bring in 80% of the stress and headache and heartache that you should maybe be cutting out of your life? Then we talked about physical health, which is what's 20% of the 
diet exercise that you can do to bring 80% of the results so that you feel more energized to do your job every day, day in and day out. And that is it really. At the end of the day, there are a lot of things we talked about and there's a lot of different ways this looks in your business, but I would highly encourage all of you to assess the 80-20 principle of this episode because (laughs) 20% of this episode is going to bring you 80% of your results in your business. So what is the 20% of this episode? What's the one thing out of these five things we talked about that is going to bring the biggest results in your business? Focus on that first. If your life is a shit show, focus on that. If you're stressing about gear, if you're researching gear every day, focus on moving on from that. There's going to be a different story for every one of you, but just figure out the one thing from this episode that's a takeaway and only focus on that. So my little two cents here, Brian, that was just so great. It's so true that there probably is 20% of this episode that's going to have 80% of the impact of this episode on your business and on your life. I would say, we've talked about this before in the past, I think one of the best tools you can have at your disposal is what I call a do not do list. It's the complete opposite of a to-do list. It's things that you are not to do. Excuse me, that's what I call it, a not to do list. If you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I spend three hours per day on sweetwater.com and I'm trying to go- Or gear sluts. Or gear sluts or whatever, or Facebook, I don't know, whatever. If you have these things where like, they're not necessarily bad in themselves, but they're bad in the dosage that you're taking them. Oh yeah, that's a lot of things in life, honestly. Yeah, if they're bad in the dosage that you're taking them, it might be worthwhile to fast from them, to put your do not do list in front of you and to write- no going on sweetwater.com and comparing preamps. This is actually, by the time this episode airs, we probably would have already started, but right now we're, we just opened up registration within the Profitable Producer Course students to sign up for the next Accountability Accelerator Bootcamp. And just a little spoiler, one of the first things we do the first week is we give them a worksheet where they write down those things that are big time wasters in their life. Let's just say Netflix or video games or gear research, like you just said, or it could be hanging out with people that are maybe not good influences on your life right now. And we ask them to write down how many hours per week they're willing to give up for the next eight weeks. Not forever. We're not saying to never look this stuff up or never go on Facebook or never to play video games. So we're just saying, how many hours are you willing to give up for the next eight weeks? They sign it and they send it back to us. This is their commitment. It's the fine time to get shit done commitment. And I would challenge all of you listening, whether you're participating in the next accountability accelerator bootcamp or not, whether you're a profitable producer course member or not, take that challenge, write down those things that you're willing to give up for the next eight weeks, and then use that time to start implementing the 80-20 principle in your business in these other areas. Because sometimes it takes time to make time, meaning it might take some extra time this week in order to save 10, 15, 20 hours the rest of the month or the rest of the year. So you have to invest a little time up front to get that return on investment later on. So I don't want to go too far off the deep end with this, but just understand that too much of a good thing is too much. <laughs> so, you know, Facebook, nothing inherently wrong with that. But if you spend two, three hours a day scrolling around on that, that is a huge time waster. That's time you could spend in your business working on systems or automation or elimination or delegation. There's just so many ways this could pan out. Yeah. So one other little tidbit, if you have an iPhone, the new iOS is coming out really soon. And the new already I- got the beta, iOS 12. So do I. Yep. I- iOS 12 is great. And it has... Screen time. Screen time. Yes, I love that feature. It's incredible. So you can look at your phone and see how many hours you've spent in different apps and on different activities within your phone. That makes it really easy 
with the new iOS to look at it and say, oh, ew, an hour of gaming on average per day. Yeah, this is one thing I was looking at. It gives you like a weekly update as well. It'll pop up and say, this week you did this and you swipe and you'll open it up and it'll say, you picked up your phone an average of 150 times a day or something crazy, like an insane <laughs> number. Yeah. And so I've managed to like reduce that over the last few weeks by like 20% a week. And it's fun when you can put metrics on it, when you can put numbers on bad habits that you have, it makes it a lot easier to reduce those bad habits. For those of you who are not on iOS or for those of you who want to track your bad habits outside of your phone, there is an app that I wholeheartedly recommend. It's on our resources area of the Six Figure Home Studio. If it's not, it should be. It is an app called Rescue Time. And if you're on iOS, it doesn't work on your phone. But if you're on Android, they also have a mobile app. And what this app does is it installs on your computer. It installs on your Android device and your laptop as well. It watches your habits, what websites you're visiting, what apps you have open, what games you're playing, if you're playing games, and gives you a report every single week of how much productive time you're using, you know, in Pro Tools or in whatever DAW you're in, and gives you another report of your negative time, how much percentage of your time is spent in not so good areas, on Reddit, on Facebook, on insert distracting thing here. And that helps you really take charge of, holy shit, I didn't realize I was spending 20 hours a week playing Fortnite. So that is it for this episode of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. If you have any questions or input for this episode or you want to add to the discussion, we started doing Facebook discussions that are linked in our show notes. So whether you listen to this episode the week it comes out or six months later, you can still comment on that thread. Both Chris and I are tagged in it. So that means that if you comment, we will see it and we can answer your questions or at least see whatever feedback you leave us. So go to the show notes page, which is the sixfigurehomestudio.com slash 45. If you go to that page, you can scroll down and there's a direct link to the Facebook discussion for this episode. So here's a question I want you to answer in that Facebook thread, and it's this. Name one specific way that you are going to be implementing the 80-20 principle in your business after listening to this episode. Go to that Facebook thread in our Facebook community, which is linked in the show notes. Answer that question, and Chris and I will be reading those answers. So next week is a very special episode because we got to sit down with none other than Graham Cochran founder of The Recording Revolution, who has millions and millions and millions of YouTube viewers. Uh, He's a very, very smart businessman, and he drops some knowledge bombs that I can't wait for you guys and girls to hear. There's a very good reason that Graham Cochran is as successful as he is, because he knows a lot more than we do. So he was a lot of fun to interview. I think there's going to be a lot of value that you get out of the episode. So make sure you stay tuned for next week, 6 a.m., when that interview goes live. Until next time, thanks for listening, and happy hustling. (laughs) 